This is an Area Code podcast. I think I get the same feeling when I'm going out for a hike and looking out at animals, or if I'm just like learning about animals. It's the same feeling as playing a video game you've never played before, or even playing a video game you've played a hundred times and finding something new about it. Finding a new interaction that you didn't know about, or finding a new like little secret hidden Easter egg or something like that. It hits that little center in the brain that's like, ooh, something new and exciting. You know that that little reward center. So I think they're both filling similar drives for discovery of something new or seeing something you haven't seen before. If you're listening to this on the release day or soon after, I hope that you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I took a little break. Hopefully you didn't mind. Hopefully you noticed and just said, well, good for him. He's taking a break. That's what I'm hoping. Today on the podcast, a conversation with Ellen Weatherford. Ellen's the host of two podcasts. One is called Just the Zoo of Us, and it is about lots of different animals. They talk at length about a different animal every week. And then the other podcast is a brand new one called Spellbound and Gagged, both on the Maximum Fun Network. Both of these podcasts have something in common, and it is that mental knowledge rabbit holes. If you're interested in like digging way too deep on a subject and just getting like really invested in something that may or may not matter to you in the everyday situation, you should check these out. I really enjoyed, um, especially the first episode of Spellbound and Gagged. I talked to her specifically about her, her love of nature and just going out and being in nature and how that related and interacted with video games, as well as just what are the things that she gets out of video games, if anything, that she doesn't get out of nature and vice versa. Here's my conversation with Ellen Weatherford. Oh, I also wanted to ask, do you do spoilers? We sort of like uh, negotiate it in real time, okay. whether it's worth... Usually I am pro spoiler mm-hmm. just because for this show, just because it it's hard to talk around things otherwise, at least for my benefit. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever said, no, no, wait, don't spoil it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done well, that. Well, luckily I haven't played any new right. games in the last few years. <laughs> okay. So yeah, uh, yeah. you're good. I have seen a cool. lot of leaks for the new Pokemon game, but mm-hmm. I, I uh, know that a lot of people are trying to steer clear of leaks in advance so of the new game. So let's start by spoiling that for those people, <laughs> just for the sake of just <laughs> arbitrarily. <laughs> we can just blurt it out. out the I'll edit it so it's the exact first thing that they hear when they turn on the podcast. They won't even have intro music. It'll just be you listing. I love hazing new listeners. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't feel like my podcast has earned that right. I feel like you need to go over a thousand listeners in order to start hazing the, the new ones. I love uh, so. using podcasting as a cyberbullying technique. <laughs> Once Twitter goes away, we'll have to use podcasts. I like the idea of like all just using very unsocial social media for <laughs> bullying people. Well, podcasting um, would be perfect for it because it's one way. Right? You can't do anything. <laughs> it's very much like the bully holding the nerd at like at arm's length away from them yes. so they can't hit back. Yeah. Who should we bully this episode? Oh, gosh. I mean, if we want to stay on topic with video games, yeah. who's the video game like main character right now? So we have already bullied, to some extent, that guy. Well, I should know his name. I've forgotten it now. But the guy who owns Activision and sucks. Kotick. Bobby Kotick. We've bullied him to some extent. I would like to direct some of my Overwatch 2 Battle Pass bullying towards him, personally. <laughs> okay, we're going to... <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to relate to you hard on this because I literally just got done playing Battle, I mean, Overwatch t- tonight. I finished like 
my last game. This r- so right I'm now, this it. conversation is the only reason I'm not playing Overwatch right now. <laughs> yeah, same. Exactly. A hundred percent. We're in the same boat. All right. We're already related. I've played Overwatch for years, for years. Yeah. I've got like well over a thousand hours in Overwatch. Yes. And so, you know, coming into Overwatch 2 has been an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I had a long break between Overwatch and Overwatch 2. I basically stopped playing, I think, when everyone else did, mm-hmm. when all of my friends sure. did. You know, that's how it goes. And then, like, when you come back in, you're like, oh, you, it's just Doom now. Or whatever. <laughs> like, everyone's just shooting each other now, which is kind of an oversimplification. But, yeah, I'm curious what your Overwatch 2 problems are. Oh, well, so, you know, I've been kind of on and off with Overwatch the whole time that it's been up, where, like, yeah. I'd go through, I'd be, like, intensely focused on it for, like, a few months, and then take maybe, like, a few months off, because I would quickly realize, like, oh, I'm more frustrated with this than I'm getting enjoyment out of. <laughs> yeah, that So I'd step away sometimes. from it for a few months, and then come back yeah. and get back into it. So it's kind of an off and on sort of thing. But coming into Overwatch 2, first of all, I love the 5v5 format. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Yeah, I love the 5v5. I love only having one tank. It's actually really nice. I thought I would hate it because I'm a support main, and I Mm -hmm. thought it would be a miserable nightmare, but no, it's actually kind of nice. I like that. I actually like the robot maps. I know not a lot of people like the robot maps, but I do. I don't know why I like them. The push stuff, yes. I love them. It's really satisfying for that robot to just be booking it across the map the way it does. (laughs) This man is running for his life. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. (laughs) And he's cute and funny. There's something endearing about the robot, but yeah, I, I like that I don't love the overhaul to the cosmetic reward system. Same. It sucks so bad. Yeah. I get that like it's the trade-off for the game being free, yeah. but for everybody that had paid for Overwatch 1 and was enjoying the perks of like getting regular new free content, mm-hmm. it feels like a huge downgrade. So yeah. for new players, I'm sure it feels perfectly fine it's like oh cool i get this game with lots of content for free but for sort of the legacy players overwatch you just lose overwatch forever (laughs) yeah it's true doesn't feel awesome are you paying for the battle pass at all (laughs) you know we did just for this season kind of just because we felt like it i don't know there was like some cool cosmetics in the battle pass that we were like yeah fine it's it's 10 bucks so we did don't know if we'll do it again though i'm really disappointed that they're now they're like locking new heroes behind the battle pass that sucks it does suck that's a big pain point so you know kind of a trade-off i like the new content i like some of the hero reworks i don't like the new battle pass system i can't stand that like direction that so many new games are going in of like you don't just buy the game right you have to like make a bunch of micro purchases (laughs) yeah 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 i don't like that direction in theory i like battle pass because it's not a bunch of micro purchases Mm -hmm. it's like one thing and i enjoy having challenges like i'm a person who needs 47 reasons to play a game not just like (laughs) get better at it or something and so the various challenges are nice the thing that i don't love about battle pass in overwatch is i was used to being surprised and delighted by what was in the loot boxes as much as as problematic as i guess loot boxes (laughs) are technically like i never bought them with money and i enjoyed like leveling up and going oh what am i gonna get and now i know the answer is the same thing literally every other person on the planet is getting it is weird i'm gonna also get which is annoying yeah the the one thing i do like is that i do have the pink mercy skin which Mm. was a skin that was only available for two weeks in may of 2018 (laughs) as a uh they were doing like a breast cancer charity fundraiser where if Mm -hmm. you uh i guess through blizzard made a 15 dollar donation to like breast cancer research you would get this pink skin which is a very it's a really nice skin it looks really cool cute um but since it was available for a very limited time and was never brought back for anything that was the only way anyone could get it now having it is like a major flex yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. i keep it equipped even though i don't really like the skin that much but i keep it on because it makes all the other mercy means jealous (laughs) everyone stops and stares and says hello literally like multiple times i have gotten people on my team and the other team that have said in chat like 
oh my god where <laughs> you have <laughs> pink <awesome>. skin <laughs> which is funny. out of context a strange thing to say to somebody but is it makes me very happy so i keep it equipped so we do always start the show with a question i i feel like you've somewhat answered the first part which is <laughs> what have you been playing lately and how does that game make you made you feel i want to give you the opportunity to to pivot to another <laughs> game if you have something else in mind that's made you feel something deeper but we can also just talk about how overwatch makes you feel oh not great is how overwatch makes me feel <laughs> in general big yeah. you know big highs big lows it's mm-hmm. a wide range of, so of emotions when yes. playing overwatch but i have also in addition to that been replaying pokemon pearl oh, on an emulator on my phone so what system is that that was on the ds for? it was on the nintendo okay, ds but i've been playing it on an emulator on my phone literally just for like nostalgia's sake and mm-hmm. it was a game that i played as a kid and I hadn't replayed it since, and I've just been going back through and playing it again. And it is a very nostalgic game for me, but it holds up really well. It's still a legitimately Mm. very fun game, which makes me feel very validated, (laughs) because I'm like, I remember it being good, and also, it's actually a good game. That is so rare that happens when you play an old game that you loved, Mm -hmm. and it's still good. That Atari anniversary pack just came out, and like the reviews are incredible. It comes with like something like 50 different games from Atari's history, but the reviews are like the museum is, is great. Mm -hmm. Like the, all of the auxiliary ancillary material is amazing and really helps you understand these trash games that you're playing. (laughs) Well, like, you know, I was a Sonic kid growing up, so I have to let a lot of my nostalgia games go. (laughs) because <laughs> mm-hmm. most of them mm-hmm. were garbage. There were, yeah, there yeah. are very few that I think I can still go back to now and, and enjoy, but that, that has been, and I, I actually was just literally last night recorded with uh, friend George Diaz over on the, the Checkpoint podcast, and we were talking about Pokemon mm-hmm. Emerald, which is a game from my childhood that was my favorite game, and I, mm-hmm. I mentioned that I tried to replay uh, Pokemon Coliseum recently, which was a game on the GameCube that I was obsessed with as a kid that I played and played and played and played and played until my little eight-year-old fingers bled and replayed it like 10 years later. That game sucks. (laughs) That game is terrible. I was like, what was I doing? How was I sinking like dozens of hours into this per sitting? What was I doing? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when people talk about nostalgia, a lot of times there are like sub feelings Mm -hmm. within nostalgia. Like really what it's doing is making you feel other feelings you felt when you play that game. I'm curious what those feelings might have been for you with Pokemon Pearl. Yeah. With with Pokemon Pearl, it doesn't have as intense of the nostalgia factor as like the third generation of Pokemon games Mm -hmm. did because... Like I was in during in the third generation of games, I was in the exact peak Pokemon target demographic, right? That like age that like seven to nine age range. And so in the in the fourth generation of games, I had already started to get a little bit older. I also was getting grounded a lot. I was a bad kid and <laughs> I was frequently <laughs> grounded and did not have access to video games a lot in that time. Mm. So I'd have to kind of play it in chunks in between long stretches of being grounded and not being allowed to play video games. And so sometimes some of that does like I can remember playing some parts and being like oh yeah I remember getting grounded here and like not being able to do this part or some of it I would remember like some parts would evoke the feeling of like I remember sneaking this game like I remember sneaking it under my covers at night and I'd be like oh yes I was playing I was walking through this cave while I was like huddled underneath my pillow and I remember my mom walking in and me having to shut my DS and like cram it up behind the mattress real quick you know like having like incredibly specific memories of like narrowly escaping getting in far worse trouble than I was already in Is there like a shame element to that? Are you like, is it somewhat negative as you're, when you're thinking about that? No, I think because like for me, I'm able to think about, oh yeah, that's what happened then. And then it almost feels like this is like a do over, you know, this feels like, this feels like a shot at redemption. You know, it's like, I get to actually enjoy the game now without the anxiety and tension of like (laughs) being in trouble. (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> and and having to like sneak around to play the game and it feels i don't know it feels like a like a healing your inner child moment where you're like yes. like i didn't really get to fully enjoy this when i was a kid and so now i'm an adult and i get to make my own rules and i can play this wherever i want and no one's gonna get me in trouble about it so it kind of feels like a i'm giving the game a, a proper pass as someone who really loves all media like <laughs> like i love movies tv games books all of it i just love it and to me that stuff is really sacred that idea that we were ever in a situation that we had to like enjoy media in that way Mm -hmm. like in this highly regulated like highly i don't know a better word like sneaky like (laughs) that is so sad to me and and i'm also like so my son is at that age he's at seven Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about him today coming home, excited to play Overwatch (laughs) and being forced to make the choice between eating your snack or playing Overwatch. Sure, yeah. And of course, he wants to do both at the same time, but we are not allowing that because my already the X button is sticky. (laughs) Um, So we're not doing that anymore. And it became a whole thing because he had to go to Taekwondo after and... He didn't have enough time to both eat his snack and play Overwatch for the amount of time that he had. And so, of course, he because he's seven, he chose Overwatch and then became fully hangry. (laughs) And we got into a big argument because he chose to do that. And it makes me really sad because now I'm doing that. I'm like enforcing rules that create a sense of angst and stress and tension around this beautiful thing called Overwatch, right? That he's so excited to play. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have my own kids now. I have a two-year-old and an eight-year-old. And uh-huh. the eight-year-old, they're both boys. The eight-year-old is so deep in the video game. <laughs> I mean, he's so deep into it. You know, of course, like a, like a lot yeah. of boys right now, it started with like Minecraft and it got super into Minecraft and like Roblox and stuff like that. And actually just very recently, he started to get super into Pokemon. And he has access to so much Pokemon content because I still have all my old games. So he uh-huh. can like play through, like he's right now <laughs> playing through Sun and Moon or which one? did I have? I had Sun. So he's playing through Sun version on my old 3DS that's like older than he is. (laughs) He's playing through it. But like, I also have to look back and be like okay there were parts of my childhood where i definitely had unhealthy relationships with video games like Mm. i was definitely inseparable from my video games at times when i probably should have been connecting more with like the world Mm -hmm. around me so you know we're trying to be very cognizant of like screen time limits and communication limits and not letting the eight-year-old chat with random strangers on the internet but i do Mm -hmm also think it's important to like explain to him why it's not just like oh i'm not letting you play video games because they're bad for you or something like that right it's more like okay i want you to enjoy the video games i love video games it would be very hypocritical of me not (laughs) to tell him not to play them and also i legitimately think they're incredible tools for learning and developing your brain and great for you mentally but i also have to be like but you do need to go outside sometimes (laughs) (laughs) yeah You do actually have to go outside. And, uh, you know, luckily we live in the type of neighborhood where he can just go outside um, and run down the street with his friends and stuff. So I I feel like I grew up kind of without that regulation. Uh And so now I have to, other than when I was grounded, right? And then it was just like, oh, nope, no video games. Find something to do, I suppose. Um, But yeah, it's funny because I grew up playing so many video games and now I have to like raise my own little second generation well third generation really my mom played video games too so he's like a little third generation gamer (laughs) and having to navigate that with like all the technology available to us now what was the reason you were playing video games then or like what were you getting out of it when you were a kid what did you go to games for in general I had a super super active imagination Mm -hmm. and so I really enjoyed any video game that really let me like explore an environment Mm. so any video game that had some sort of world that I could like run around in and especially like (laughs) 
going back and replaying them, I'm like, these graphics were not it. They were not what I thought they were. <laughs> you know, but like yeah. when you're a kid and you have a very active imagination, your brain fills in so many of those gaps and just like kind you kind of have this augmented graphics in your brain where you're just making yep. it so much cooler and more cinematic in your head. And so I, I really think like exploration was just really important to me. And it still is, you know, I think one of my most intensely emotional video game experiences is with a game that's purely just like exploration of an environment and that's the game abzu have you ever played the game abzu i have i did not enjoy that game but I'm i can sorry. understand I why I, no i get it <laughs> i think i was in a dark place i love like art games mm-hmm. indie games i'm a big fan i was in a dark place let's just put it that way i, get it. I was in a place when i was not enjoying what I saw as pretentious games I back see in it. the day. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, go ahead. And and I get that like it's not for everybody. There's no it's challenge beautiful. to it. It's a gorgeous. Yeah, I think that like for me, it just felt like a piece of art that you could just explore and be like yeah. immersed in. And also, I've always been super into wildlife and animals and nature. Mm-hmm. And this whole game is just a love letter to the ocean and marine mm-hmm. biology. And so it's just a really incredible like exploration of ocean wildlife and stuff in a way that you would never get in the real world. Um, you right. would, like The places you can explore in Abzu are places you would never realistically be able to get to in life and it kind of lets you have that like experience i had a very cultivated or no not cultivated a very curated experience of playing abzu where i would come into my office it was always at night i would turn (laughs) off every light I love so this. It was yeah. pitch black except for my computer screen. And then I'd have my noise canceling over ear headphones mm-hmm. with just like, and like the music is by Austin Wintory and the music is just like gorgeous and such a driving force of the game. So I had the music just like all consuming. It's like as close as you can get to a VR experience without having like a VR headset. And it just felt like such a transportative thing where I was like exploring this fantastical but not super fan like still rooted in reality yes. yeah totally. you know like there's yes. enough of it grounding you to reality where you can put yourself yep. in it but with these heightened magical effects that just make it like a little more a little zhuzhed up <laughs> i'm just comparing i'm contrasting your experience playing it and the way that you approached it to mine which is literally like dragging myself onto the couch because I have to review this game. (laughs) I have this freaking review code and I'm a game critic and now I have to review this game. And so I have to slog through this game. I'm literally physically and emotionally depressed. I'm going through depression right now and I'm just in my living room, whatever, who knows what's going on in this moment. And I'm just forcing myself through it. And that's not, you know, if media is sacred, that's not the way to experience it. No, and being, it's very much like, as with any type of, you know, art at all, you know, the mentality you go into it with is going to drastically affect how it lands with you and like what it means to you at all. And it's funny because, you know, Giant Squid, their way more popular game is Journey. Which I loved. They did Journey, right? Giant Squid did Journey, I believe. No, they didn't. I don't, I think, no, that was, um, I don't know. I remember. It was the same art director. That's what it was. Right. Someone was involved that was with Journey, but it was different. Okay. It was some of the same team member. I know it was the same music composer, same art director. Uh So some similar things to Journey. And I didn't like Journey. (laughs) Which is... That's so weird. I didn't like it. But, okay, just like you said, how, like, the mentality you go into it with changes the entire game. Yes. I was playing Journey on the PlayStation. I had high hopes for the game. I thought I had heard everyone say it was great. I heard everyone say Mm -hmm. it was good. I didn't understand how it worked. And I didn't know that the other figure I was playing with was a real person. (laughs) Right, right. I didn't know that. And so I went through the whole game not understanding that. And I was just frustrated. Like, I didn't understand that we were supposed to be trying to, like, figure out how to communicate with each other. And I was just kind of, like, trying to blast through the game on my own, basically. So whoever I was playing with, this poor soul, I was, like, it was not hitting with me at all. And so I played the whole thing. And then I was like, okay, that was nice, I 
guess that wasn't really it for me but Uh then abzu was like this incredible masterpiece to me but that's because that's i think that's just things i value more like i valued more of like the visuals and the it felt like a real sort of like journey through natural history which is something that's really important to me personally Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it was just something that that happened to connect more with me I wanted to explore this connection between like your love of nature. You mm-hmm. do have this podcast where you just talk about animals, mm-hmm. which is incredible. <laughs> I listened to the wasp episode and really oh, enjoyed nice. it. I was like, I'm which glad. of these animals do I care about? Wasps, the ones right outside of my door. <laughs> so th- I'm curious, like how you think about, I guess what I'm used to is the person who loves nature instead of video games right that is my experience with a lot of people who love nature is that they're like you know i don't do this artificial thing i do this real thing over here and they Mm. get outside whenever they can and when they're not they're probably watching like nature documentaries or something Mm -hmm. which actually playing abzu feels like the video equipment video game equivalent of that but i'm curious like yeah what's the relationship between those two things do they meet different or similar needs in your life Yeah, I think they meet very similar needs in that, Mm. like, both of them, to me, feel like ways of exploring spaces you're not familiar with and, like, chasing Mm. a feeling of newness and a feeling of, like... I think I get the same feeling when I'm going out for a hike and looking out at animals, or if I'm just like learning about animals through my own research or something like that. It's the same feeling as like playing a video game you've never played before, or even playing a video game you've played a hundred times and finding something new about it. Yeah. You know, like finding a new interaction that you didn't know about or finding a new like little secret hidden Easter egg or something like that. It just it hits that little center in the brain that's like, ooh, something new and exciting, you know, that that little reward center. So I think they're both filling similar drives for discovery of something new or seeing something you haven't seen before. Yeah. Right. If you go out on a hike and you see a new type of mushroom that you haven't seen before, or you see a bird that you've seen before, but it's doing something really weird that you haven't seen it do before. (laughs) And then you go home and look it up and you learn about a brand new thing that this bird does. So now you know a new thing. Like it has sort of the same feeling of newness and discovery that I think I get out of video games. And I know what you mean about like, there seems to usually be sort of a a mutual exclusiveness to people that are into nature and people that are into video games. And luckily through like the people that I've gotten to know through doing our podcast, I have weaseled my way into the center of that Venn diagram of people who are into video (laughs) games and people who are into nature. Um, And I do think it has a lot to do with like the element of exploration because video games help you like they allow you to completely explore new places on your own terms right Mm -hmm. in a way that I think other media doesn't let you do it on your own terms the way video games Mm -hmm. do so it gives Mm -hmm. you this sort of agency that is a very similar to what you get through like hiking or going for a nature walk you know or scuba diving or snorkeling or you know whatever way people like to explore nature I think it it fills the same Like, it scratches the same itch, I guess. And you mentioned that, like, Abzu feels like a documentary. There is a game... I've played a lot of games recently that, like, have a very much, like, an environmentalist or natural education, I suppose, sort of, like, slant to them. And they're really, really Mm -hmm. good. There's one I played called... No, I watched my husband play. It was called Beyond Blue. It's a really good game. Yeah, it's a really interesting game. Well, you know what? People who are, like, not super into, like indie or educational games might find it incredibly boring but oh yeah i've seen this game i've seen this yeah game. you're yeah. like a marine biologist and you like explore hydrothermal vents and all sorts of cool stuff and it's awesome uh, yeah so i like i really like stuff like that there's all sorts i feel like recently with like the boom of the indie gaming scene i've yep. seen a ton more environmentally geared very artsy like games about mm-hmm. nature and animals and i think that divide is narrowing i think between people who are into nature and people who are into video games yeah it feels like in general like games used to be really like nerdy or geeky and now they're just entering the mainstream which means the venn diagram of games is overlapping with pretty much everything Mm -hmm. else and i i feel like one of the ways we're seeing that is with like the cozy games i love cozy games which big fan yeah so (laughs) i wanted to ask like how you felt about that because there's a lot of inherently like there's nature themes Mm -hmm. if anything and 
it's very dumbed down in a lot of ways, but like, it's interesting to see the types of people, the types of people who play cozy games. I remember they're just different types of people. They're like across the board, they're just changing up the demographic of what a gamer is in a really interesting way Mm -hmm. that back in the day you would talk about bejeweled, (laughs) which was a hard way to make it like was a stupid way to make an argument for gaming gen- demographics changing because it was so casual. Mm-hmm. But these people are playing like Stardew Valley and Dreamlight Valley and whatever Valley, like with a sort of hardcore mentality, which is fascinating. Yeah. So first of all, I love cozy games. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan. I've played probably 800 hours of Animal Crossing New Horizons. Some of my games that are not cozy games, I play as though they are cozy games, like oh, Pokemon. Like, uh-huh. like I play Pokemon games as though they are cozy games even yeah. they're more like yeah. combat focused i don't care i play them for the vibe what does that basically. mean like how do you play that game as a cozy game it means that i mostly like typically try to avoid combat as much as mm-hmm. possible and when i do it's usually more for the purposes of like raising like training up a team of pokemon that i personally like because they're like cute or i just like them you know like they're just the vibes that i want or like in the more recent games there's a lot more like customization options so i have a lot of fun like creating a space for myself or like you know customizing my character i am just i'm on my own time Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't bother with anything, you know, competitive or. Com- I'm usually like spam clicking A through all the dialogue because I'm like, <laughs> I do not care. <laughs> yeah, get. I, I don't care about your villainous faction. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me and my Sylveon go have a good time. But I love cozy games, and I. I do think what we're seeing now is that just like with any other type of media, you're getting drastically different genres Mm -hmm. within video games that have existed in other media for decades or even over a century that, you know, you wouldn't say that to that, like everybody who likes movies is going to be in a similar sort of demographic, right? Yeah. Because it's yeah. like, well, someone who likes action movies and someone who likes horror movies are probably going to be very different. Or someone who yeah. likes, you know, artsy indie films and somebody who likes Marvel films are probably going to be very different. So, like, with the increase of indie games, you know, you're seeing the video games become much more specialized into different niches and you're just seeing, I think, more more specialized genres become more popular just like they have for like literature books movies music i think for so long people have just like treated video games as a monolith you know um because i guess video games were mostly being made by like a few companies like with how many people are able to get into making their own video games you're starting to see some really interesting stuff come up that is like sort of fragmenting the video game scene i suppose totally I want to go into this concept of newness that you brought up because what's really interesting to me, well, I don't know if this is really leading to the question, but it's just an observation that struck me as seeing a bird you've already seen Mm -hmm. doing something different is like such a late, like a highly specific version of newness. And it, it destro- the word that came to mind is mindfulness. It's like, that's a result of really specific mindfulness when you're out in the, in nature Mm -hmm. that I just haven't had in the past. Right. And like even enough to recognize that's a different bird or whatever. And that is interesting to me because my initial reaction to thinking about that is I'm not sure you need that kind of mindfulness when you're playing a game to find the kind of newness you're talking about, which feels like maybe a downside to playing games. Like it doesn't exactly teach you mindfulness I don't know how you feel about that. Like, how do you think about that approach to like finding something new in games versus finding something new in nature? It feels to me like one is better than the other. Frankly, <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know. I guess I I go more for describing them as different rather than better because yeah, I think with them, yes. um, you know, if you're if you're going out on a hike. I've talked about this recently with like a lot of our guests on the podcast who are really into bird watching because with bird watching, it kind of requires the presence and focus of like all of the senses, right? You need to be able to like pay close attention to what you're hearing, what you're seeing. If you're 
like feeling the sort of climate around you like if it's you're feeling like a temperature shift or anything like it it just requires a lot of like being very present in the moment and with video games (laughs) as a person okay so i'll show my hand a little bit as a person with adhd who very much Uh struggles with focus and mindfulness and forcing myself to be present in a moment um i mean a lot of times that results in you failing to progress through the video game (laughs) so you could be punished for not being like mindful and i guess punished isn't the right word but like if you're not mindful enough you might not progress through the game. Like I'm constantly, I tried, you know, I did some Twitch streaming earlier in the year and I was constantly embarrassing myself because (laughs) I would not at all be paying attention to the right thing. I wouldn't Mm. be paying attention to the game. I wasn't being mindful. And then I didn't see what I was supposed to do. And then I get completely lost and confused because I was not paying attention. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess it does kind of demand your focus, which like it, it demands you to be paying attention to what you're doing in a way that does kind of feel like like training you almost to stay focused on a task. But then again, they are constantly rewarding you for your focus, right? Right. And so if you get used to that overstimulation of the reward center, it makes things outside of video games feel so much less rewarding by comparison. Right. Have you felt that? Like, have you gone out and been like, but it's not like doing like ding ding sounds and it's not right. (laughs) Only that has only really been a problem for me in. So I live in Florida and Mm -hmm. during the vast majority of the year, it is punishingly brutal outside like the temperature is so hot and humid and muggy so if it's already uncomfortable physically to begin with then like a lack of stimulation and a lack of reward can make it just feel like this is more trouble than it's worth i do not want to be here (laughs) Uh but something i feel like that helps me get like find my own reward system is taking photos So, like, if I'm out taking pictures, like, either with my phone or with my actual, like, camera, that, to me, feels like the reward center of, like, I got the thing. (laughs) Like, like I I got the thing that I wanted, and the thing that I wanted was, like, a cool picture of a neat leaf or something like that. Like, there's a, a cool app called iNaturalist. And Uh it is an app on your phone where you can take a picture of something you've seen. So it could be an animal or a plant or a mushroom or whatever. And you upload it onto iNaturalist. And it will, first of all, try to give you a species ID, which Mm -hmm. it can be really good. But it Mm -hmm. can also, you know, be not that great sometimes. But it is basically a real-life Pokedex. (laughs) I was going to say, it's like Pokemon Go, but with real things. Yes. So not as rewarding as Pokemon Go, right? You're not like getting points and levels and stuff like that. But there is something very rewarding on like going out for a hike, being out for a few hours, and then being able to come back and say, I made five new species observations, Mm -hmm. you know? So you kind of like Mm -hmm. gamify it for yourself. (laughs) I can't decide if that makes me sad or I want to do that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's probably better to do that than just like not notice leaves. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it feels like you're onto something there, at least. It has really helped me, like, tell the difference between things, though. You know, like, I have seen a cool bug on our porch took a picture of it, uploaded it to iNaturalist, usually fall down a Wikipedia rabbit hole about it for a while. And then like the next time I see it later, yeah. I know what it is. And I know like all the stuff about it. And I maybe like stop and appreciate it a little bit more than I did before I had taken the time to like take a picture of it and learn about it and stuff. So I don't know. I'm the type of person that like I really enjoy desperately clinging to any scrap of information I can get about a subject. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it definitely hits that for me and then one thing with like nature and hiking is that you could very well go out into nature into onto a hike or something and stumble across something that no human being has ever laid eyes on or interacted with ever right even if it's just like this particular thing like maybe this individual moth that I saw. No human being has ever seen this moth before. Whereas when you're playing a video game, you're navigating through a world that has been built for you by somebody And distributed across a mass market. (laughs) Yes. So it does feel a little bit more like special just for me. Uh, Unless you're playing like No Man's Sky. (laughs) Uh 
You yeah. can get that, I guess, with No Man's Sky. But there's something very war- rewarding to me about being like, maybe I'm the only person that's, you know, like a moth that has a lifespan of like 24 hours. I could be like, I'm the only one that ever saw this moth. That that could be really cool. cool. Yeah, You're turning me cool. a little bit into a nature guy. And I've been <laughs> grad... Like, look, the fact is nature makes me better. Like, I've just noticed that I'm that kind of a person that really benefits from getting out amongst trees. So I've made a habit of doing it, but I've found it hard because I found it hard to like get excited about doing no, it for sure. honestly just because i'm distracted by media right. i think as we touched on but you mentioned rabbit holes like you do have this other podcast called spellbound and gagged that is largely about going down rabbit holes yes <laughs> and i was curious like how much of your video game experience is about going down rabbit holes like how much of the overwatch lore are you aware of and Vert and or like strategies and stuff like that. It's funny because I got I was super into the Overwatch lore when I first started playing the game because mm-hmm. the cinematics were what got me to start playing the game. Mm. Specifically, it was the Bastion yeah. one, which I'm pretty sure won some type of award for how beautiful it was. So I got into the lore, but then I quickly fizzled out on like the comics and the videos and everything that they were in. Not because it was like, I don't know, it kind of felt very like Avengers-y to me. And it felt very much like, oh, I've seen this. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't anything particularly like unique to me. So I was like, I don't care. Just give me the new hero and don't make me read. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So yeah, it's... (laughs) I think with video games for me, it's everything is to me more about like having a new experience or being in a new place that I wouldn't be able to be in otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more about the newness than about the, because I guess because for me, I feel so differently about like fiction that I do like learning, going down these like informational rabbit holes, because to me, I get so immediately burnt out on, I'm like, this only exists in some person's head. Like (laughs) a hundred percent. I am with you a hundred percent on this. This this doesn't matter. (laughs) There are no stakes to that. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's right. You know, the first episode of your podcast like really resonated with me because I think the moment it started to resonate i was a little like oh no i don't really care anymore the minute you guys said like no one's probably ever had sex in space and i'm like well then right (laughs) what are we talking about but then you started talking about but we're going to mars and we're gonna need to know what happens in (laughs) mars and then i was like keyed back in because all of a sudden it really matters you know right and also you talk about you know we ended up talking about a lot of things i'd never really thought about like what effect does gravity have on the human body that we're just not noticing because it's just happening all around us and we don't really think about anything different but then when you're removed from an environment with gravity all of a sudden you're like oh no gravity was the only thing holding us together (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, so it's for me, there's three tiers of like rabbit holes that I care about from less to most. And one is like the video game lore, one is video game strategies, Mm. and then the next one would be real stuff. You know what I mean? (laughs) But like video game strategies is a nice middle ground where like that stuff kind of matters because you can use it going forward. And at least for Overwatch, that's kind of how it feels to me. It's funny because I also like bounced off of Stardew Valley for the same reason because Stardew Valley is one of those games that is most effectively played with like a wiki open alongside it and that just like to me i was like i don't this is too much reading i don't want to have to keep bouncing back and forth i don't want to have to memorize stuff don't make me i've memorized enough stuff for pokemon i can't do it again (laughs) um yes so i bounced off of stardew valley for the same reason and i don't know something about stardew valley like the role play never landed with me like Mm -hmm, the dialogue mm -hmm. i was like i am not There is no way in hell I am going to walk through this town and talk to like 20 people over (laughs) and over again. I would (laughs) rather be lit on fire than have to do that every over and over again, however long it takes you to like learn all. They're like, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, there's really interesting stories that if you talk to every character a certain like enough, then the story will emerge. And I'm like, that's. That's too much. That's insane. <laughs> because I played like probably one or two hundred hours of the game 
did not realize that like you could marry people did not know that was even a part of the game because i was spending so much time just like vibing with my goats and chickens (laughs) i'm making my own game baby i want to do a little game really quick where you tell me the three best representations of animals in video games okay let me think for a second Oh, I've got one. Okay. The first one that comes to mind is this game. It's a newer game called Webbed. Have you heard of this game? Webbed? No. It is a game where you play as a jumping spider. Oh my gosh. Specifically, you are a female jumping spider whose little boyfriend has been caught by a bower bird, which is a, a all of the all of these animals are animals that live in Australia because the development team is in Australia, and uh-huh. it's like a very physics based game where you're shooting yeah. webs and you're swinging from v- webs and doing cool tricks with them and stuff like that and sort of zipping and zooming through this little world that's populated entirely by like other little bugs that you come across, yeah. and. I thought that was stellar. That was so good. Like all I, I actually talked about this game to a friend of mine who is an arachnologist who studies peacock jumping spiders, which is that exact spider. And uh-huh. he said that's he said it's spot on. He said it is a, an extremely accurate representation of jumping spiders in the game, which is so cool, first of all, that there's a game where the protagonist is a spider. The spider's always yeah. like the enemy. The spider's always the villain. You totally. get to be the yes. spider. <laughs> I'm watching the trailer right now, and it's extremely accurate. Like, there are things happening in this trailer that it feels very true to mm-hmm. life. And then there's a spider on a skateboard, which <laughs> I don't know about that. But the crow stuff mm-hmm. looks really real, like the whole crow attacking and stuff like that. Yeah, but, um, that was great. I really enjoyed that. That's cool. Web is a fantastic right, what's game. number two? Uh... I think I'm going to go back to Abzu because Abzu had some really interesting like interactions between the animals. There's a, a part in the game where you go into the like open ocean area. Basically, you like come out of this sort of more freshwater area into this open ocean where there's just this big blue expanse in front of you and there's a bait ball which is what happens when you see those schools of fish that are swirling in like a big mm-hmm. fish tornado. Yeah. And yeah. first of all, my computer was fighting for its life to render all of these little fish. <laughs> my computer was absolutely on death's door. This thing was, my poor fan was <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to load all these fish in this bait ball until they're all swirling in a big circle. And something I also noticed about it was that in addition to the bait ball, which were, I think in the game, they were anchovies that were just like swimming in a, in a big orb. There were mm-hmm. also marlins, so big swordfish, that were swimming into the bait ball. And, huh. you know, j- just like how marlins hunt in real life, they would swim into the bait ball, thwack their bill around to knock fish out of the bait ball, and then go catch it. Huh. So that was, like, actually how they hunt. There were some other interesting little, like, interactions between the fish in Abzu that, like, you had to kind of look for. But if you found them, they were really cool. You'd see animals, like, hunting each other, which was super yeah. cool. Some of them would, like, like, the dolphins would school up. So, like, if you caught one dolphin and were riding it, then other dolphins would come behind you and like swim yeah. behind you and you could actually be sort of like leading this pod of dolphins around so there was some huh. really cool so yeah i think abzu was definitely i'm only putting abzu at number two instead of number one even though i know i gave webbed so much grace um, for <laughs> taking some artistic liberties because there were some moments in abzu that were just baffling there was like a school of moray eels that were just like floating up in the water column which is first of all moray eels don't school and second of all they would be down in a reef not up in the water column it was just something that i was playing through the game that's I was why like, i hated that game. <laughs> yeah that did it for you that was... That was so, that's what depressed me i didn't mention it but that's why i was depressed <laughs> that really that'll really uh misrepresentation of eels really gets suck to me. the life out of you every time <laughs> so there were like some minor things that i would as i was playing through i was like that's weird yeah. but it was still really beautiful and then i'm trying to think Okay, for number three, I'm going to say my favorite thing in a Pokemon game, uh-huh. because this is like, I talk about this all the time. So people who have listened to our podcast about the, the episode about this animal will know what I'm talking about. But 
there's a Pokemon called Marini. I don't know how, are you like super familiar with the Pokemon games? I've been talking about them no, a lot not, and I did not so, check in with you about that. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I am brand new to Pokemon. My Welcome. son and I played like one of those trainer kits one time and got obsessed. And then we bought decks and we have struggled to find time to actually spend time with those decks. Oh, y'all but are playing the card played, game. That's the card game, right. And I played Pokemon Go for like two seconds back in the day. Oh, uh, we all played Pokemon Go in the summer of 2016. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I don't think that I have ever played another Pokemon game. Maybe like a few minutes of Pokemon Snap. Okay. Which was a weird experience. That game doesn't really work if you don't know about Pokemon. Yeah, no, that is a game. Once again, that's a game I really liked. <laughs> yeah, I, I I am assuming you would love that game. Just that was because fan service. Of, you know, it's a pure... take pictures of Pokemon animals. but It's literally just yeah. fan service. It's a whole game yeah. of Pokemon fan service. That one was... Was for the girls. <laughs> I was into that game because I love camera. Like one of my, I, I didn't bring this up earlier, but I almost did. One of my all time, not all time favorite, but one of my favorite games from like back in the PlayStation 3 era was called Africa. Mm. And you just walk around and take pictures of animals I in love Africa. That. That's literally it. And it was really fun. And I've always wanted that specific game again mm-hmm. and so pokemon snap was kind of attempted at that but it being on rails really put me off big did time. you happen to play alba yes i did play a little bit of alba and just the, it, the when i played it it was on ipad mm. and my kids dominate that thing these days so i haven't had a chance to get back to it but i love that game it's i really so enjoyed that game i played the whole game i in feel one like i'm 30 minutes away from finishing it probably i just it's, it's just extremely short <laughs> it's it does hit that spot though like if you're really into taking pictures like if you're into photography it's a very fun game Mm. for that but okay so to kind of explain this thing about my favorite pokemon and why i think it's a good animal representation first of all there's a lot of interesting zoology that like Mm -hmm. factors into pokemon design and gameplay which i think is actually like really cool and not super surprising because the creator of pokemon got the idea for it from his childhood spent catching bugs so he's a little a little bug collector a little bug kid and uh, that was what gave him the idea for pokemon and In one of the more recent Pokemon games, they introduced this mechanic where when you were battling a wild Pokemon, sometimes the Pokemon you're battling would do something called cry for help, where it would bring in allies. So you'd be fighting a Pokemon, and then all of a sudden, maybe now there's like three of them or something like that. There was this Pokemon called Corsola which is based on a coral. It's a cute little Pokemon. It just looks like it has little, it's a little pink Pokemon that looks like a little coral reef or something like mm-hmm. that. And when you were battling it, it would sometimes call for help and call in allies. Sometimes when it did this call for help, instead of bringing in another Corsola, it would attract a Pokemon called Marini. And Marini is based on a real starfish called the crown of thorns starfish oh interesting and this starfish preys on coral it is a predator (sighs) of coral and there's such like pervasive predators of coral that they have decimated swaths of the great barrier reef because like there will be these sort of like nutrient runoffs in the water and you'll get this this huge boom of starfish population there'll be so many of them that they will just strip the coral reef so Mm. hugely damaging to coral so sometimes the Corsola, the coral Pokemon, will cry for help, attract a Marini, the Marini joins uh-huh. the battle, and then attacks the Corsola. Like, it oh joins gosh. the battle and then starts attacking its ally because it's a predator. Uh-huh. I've never seen anything like this. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's like such specific knowledge for them to have. Yeah, very, very, like, and just, I feel like that is a great moment of like real world zoology playing out uh, in gameplay mechanics like translated yeah. so perfectly into like the actual mm-hmm. gameplay that it was a moment that was like it's a learning moment almost because like you can teach kids like that you know you can teach kids like oh yeah now that you know that marini will fight a corsola that can help you remember <laughs> that like the starfish eats corals, right? Like it's yeah. a really cool yeah. uh, educational moment. 
That's amazing. <laughs> so the last question we always ask for this podcast is centered around something called the, the feelings wheel. The feelings <laughs> wheel is a collection of 82, I think, different feelings. And they're just like very specific different kinds of feelings that you can have associated with the human condition. And so what we do is we spin this wheel <gasps> and the emotion that it lands on, I want to ask you about a game that made you feel it. Fantastic. So what game has made you feel sensitive? Sensitive. Interesting. Let me think. Portal 2. Oh, interesting. I think like the Portal games, I think because the whole game feels like the antagonist of the game is attacking you psychologically. And the whole game feels very much like you know, you're completely at her mercy and she's also choosing to like attack your insecurities directly. (laughs) Where like, she's so sinister, but like emotionally. (laughs) And I think that is a game that very much felt like, you know, a a game that made me feel a little bit like, I was like, oh, you got me a little bit right here. (laughs) You know, like she makes a lot of like very cutting comments. (laughs) I was like, oh, that hurt. me and the game does a thing where you can't exactly tell if they would always say that or if they're saying it specifically because you sucked at that right everything felt kind of i'm like i did actually just die a second ago i'm like was i have i been doing that badly that the game is responding to it because i do legitimately have that problem frequently where like a lot of times i'll be stuck in an area so long that the game will start to kind of like try to give me hints to move me along the game's like we can tell you're struggling here (laughs) so but with portal 2 every like with portal and portal 2 both of them it just feels so like and paired with the fact that it seems like the antagonist's goal is to distress you emotionally and then you feel like oh no it's working so like not only are my feelings hurt but also i'm giving her what she wants by my feelings being hurt by it so it it feels very like kind of being dealt double (laughs) emotional damage by the fact that like you're insulting me and it's working (laughs) the interesting thing about sensitivity is like it's an emotion that sort of is directed in two ways. It's like, oh, you're hurting my feelings, but it's also like sensitivity towards other people's mm-hmm. feelings, which is interesting when I think about, I don't know if you played Portal 1, yeah. but when I played Portal 1, I remember very distinctly feeling genuinely terrible at the end of that game. Yeah. Because the way it ends is, spoilers, <laughs> I'm about to spoil, okay, we're going to spoil now. The way it ends is, there actually was a cake for you like the cake was not actually a lie it was real they show it at the end she just wasn't going to give it to you (laughs) (laughs) well she's she insists like at least the way i read that ending was that everything she was saying she was going to give you she was and you just slowly were losing trust in her for arbitrary reasons it may have been that i was going through a divorce at the time but that thing hit home that ending hit home in a weird way and it sort of makes the point that you're making which is like it makes you sensitive to that yeah this weird robot lady (laughs) and our feelings also like the ending of portal 2 feels very bizarre because like gladys's voice is like singing this operatic farewell to you as you're ascending (laughs) the elevator to escape Uh she's been trying to murder you this whole time and you're finally making your escape but as you are escaping from her clutches she's busting out this very heart-wrenching goodbye like she's mourning that you're leaving her and you Mm. almost feel a twinge of like a tinge of like oh man yeah even though you know you're like she's been trying to kill me this whole time like she's literally never done anything kind or helpful or supportive to me this entire time and now as i can see the rays of sunlight filtering in now she's all of a sudden sad that i'm leaving and it's a very bizarre feeling (laughs) so bittersweet in the weirdest way there are so (laughs) many like movies and tv shows and and albums even about leaving toxic people Mm -hmm. and toxic relationships and very few video games about that right and portal just nails it what was that that writer going through (laughs) 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 y'all were were in the trenches (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, for real. Like that very uncomfortable dissonance between I'm going to miss this person. I feel bad because I still care about this person, but I've got to get out of here. Right. Kind of feeling is a very human feeling. And this feeling of like, oh, when I leave, once I escape from this incredibly dangerous situation that this person I keep saying person as though Gladys is like a person but (laughs) like I'm trying to like escape this entity that's been actively trying to harm and murder me this whole time Uh, but you also know if I leave she's gonna be stuck down here for eternity with nobody mm. and alone and you know it just has that feeling of like you know it, it really hits in that like it's not even morally gray because it's clearly the right thing for you to do to yeah. leave, but it still hurts to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a game that leaves you within a bizarre headspace. <laughs> I have to admit, I was pretty surprised that Ellen went to video games for a lot of the same reasons that she went outside. I think part of me assumed that those two things played mutually exclusive roles in her life. Maybe even that one was in tension with the other. I think it's easy for us to pit video games against other hobbies, and especially when those hobbies are are particularly grounded in the real world. That's sort of how we were raised growing up, I think, is, is, is you're choosing between video games or going outside. But I do think it's good to have a healthy appreciation, both for video games and real world endeavors. Being outside in nature... Walking on ground that is less trodden than usual is a pretty massively rewarding experience. Nature is one of those most underrated diversions, I think, that we have access to. But for various reasons, of course, access to those things can vary based on weather, location, how much time we have, even our general state of mind and energy levels. So when it's too cold or we only have a few minutes, or when we're surrounded by streets and buildings, it can be nice to go to a video game instead. Not just for distraction, but for space to explore. This has been Video Game Feelings. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out our show more regularly and you're not already subscribed, please do subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any of the podcast apps that you like to use. Check out our uh, Twitter also. We'll, We'll let you know every time we have a new episode there so you're never out of the loop. Check us out on Twitter at Vid Game Feelings. Oh, yeah. If you are enjoying this show, please rate, review us. Tell your friends. Tweet about us. I love, like, positive affirmation. It makes me feel good. That's why I play video games. They're always affirming me. Be my video game. (laughs) Affirm me. I appreciate it. Thanks, y'all. Have a good week. See you next week. This is an Area Code podcast.